and I just think if we all took a little bit of time out of our day to just be better people, even if that's, you know, just holding the door or maybe, you know, if you're if you're in high school and you're listening to this, you know, acknowledge that person that's that you know is kind of treated like the outcast. Because you never know what just a simple, hey man, you doing alright, you know, could could do for that person. You're listening to The Signal Man with your host, Josh Urban. Josh Urban. Ladies and gents, welcome to the show and a very special interview with a friend of mine, veteran of the U.S. Air Force, Mr. Pat Harris. I've known Pat for a while and he's one of the many people I've met through music who have helped me understand the world a bit better. Now, not wanting to keep this perspective to myself, it's excellent to have him by the show to share some of his experiences with you. He told me once that the modern warfighter struggles with the feeling of being invisible as the constant distant wars are often drowned out in the flood of the media cycle in modern culture. That thought floated around in my brain for a few years until several weeks ago when watching a documentary on the Vietnam War and hearing some of the veterans of that conflict speak on the transition, I leapt off the couch, which is dramatic even if nobody's watching, and said to myself, gotta get Pat on the show. History is always being written and here's a voice from this generation's wars to add to that story. Listen in to our call as we talk war, perspective, kindness, music, healing, and everyday stuff. My fellow Americans, Pat Harris. Well, and we're rolling. Well, Pat, well, thanks for calling in. Great to have you here today. How you doing over there in Cleveland? Uh, I'm doing good, Josh. Thanks for having me on. Oh, man, it is great to have you here. So, uh, so could you tell the listeners just a, a bit about, you know, who you are and you know we've known each other for a while we're, we're the same age um you know who you are what what you do and sort of a couple of things that you've done uh sure so uh i am a retired staff sergeant out of the united states air force uh, i was active duty from september of 2005 to june of 2014. uh i did three tours overseas uh, I was in Afghanistan in 2006, Iraq in 2007, and Iraq again in 2009. Um, I spent about two and a half years over in Germany when I first enlisted uh, at Ramstein, and then I came to Andrews here in Maryland um, in 2008, and that was sort of how I got hooked up with you. Uh, kind of got a wild hair up my butt and decided I wanted to learn how to play guitar, uh, yeah. something to kind of wind myself down after... Uh, after a couple of deployments, um, so I sort of found you by a sign on the side of the road, and, and you and I have kind of been bouncing ideas off of each other ever since. Indeed, we have, and it's you know it's been really nice to hear some of your your journey because, um, well, I know one of the things that that we were talking about uh, before was how the war is so far removed from from everyday life over here. And here we are, two guys, fairly, you know, similar, you know, backgrounds and, and likes and music and everything like that. And, and yet you walk such a different path. And, uh, of course, I want to thank you for that. And sort of wondering what, what that's like and what some of your experiences were overseas. Um, you know, it's definitely not a path for everybody. Um. It was just sort of what I felt 
for me personally was the right thing to do. Uh, you know, I was sitting in sophomore English class when the planes hit the towers. Mm. Um, so for me, that kind of solidified um, my decision. But now if you look at it, you know, in, in 2018, you know, we've been essentially at war for 17 years in Afghanistan and unofficial. I mean, officially, you know, Iraq was closed in 2000 and. When Operation New Dawn started, but you know, we we were we were a two front water for the better part of a decade, um, right. and I think that with that going on, and it just you know, if you look back at two thousand one, two thousand you know, to pretty much two thousand and five, um, you know, it was pretty much in the news every day. Right. There was something. There was something that was there every day, um, and. You know, you fast forward to 2010 when I'm coming back from my third deployment, and it's only there if something bad happens. Mm. And I think, I think that's when you started to really get the change in public opinion. And this is just my observation. There's obviously no factual basis to this, but I felt like that's where you really started to get your change in public opinion was when the only thing that was televised or broadcasted was when something went wrong, when there was a helicopter crash, when there was uh, what should have been a a strategically targeted uh, bomb um, and it missed. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately there was collateral damage. And that's when I really think that the public opinion started to change um, pretty heavily to the know let's get out of there kind of side but i think what a lot of people don't understand is it's not something that you can just turn on and off like a light switch you can't just you can't just say okay we're going to pull everybody out tomorrow there's things that we're working on over you know on both fronts whether it be improving their infrastructure or you know promises that we made on our end uh, building schools, helping with water supply, um, building hospitals, training medical personnel so they can, you know, help themselves, you know, stuff like that. It's not easy to just turn it off. It's not a light switch. And I think that's what a lot of people uh, have misconstrued about the way that these things work. You know, we, yes, we went over and we, we, we occupied a country for a period of time. But in doing that, we've made promises and we've done things on our end to say, Hey, listen, we're here to help you. You got to give us some leeway and we're going to get these things done for you in the time period that we're here. So I think if more people took a second to kind of understand that, and it's not just an automatic thing, like a lot of people think it is. Um, I think that'd be very, I don't want to say helpful because that's not really the right word, but it'd be, I think people can be be more conscious about their opinion of it, I suppose. Well, and I think, yeah, being conscious is an important thing. And then I, I guess you don't really have an A, B way to, to see how your, your perspective has changed. But you must have quite a different perspective than the average person walking around of what it's like over there and uh, what, what the action is like. And, and what, what is your perspective on stuff like that is when, when you hear about um. I definitely think that, you know, I went over, I was on my first appointment when I was uh, 20 years old. 
and that was to Bagram Afghanistan. So for me, I think um, I, I definitely learned and I, and I grew up pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, you're kind of given uh, a, a responsibility to make a life or death decision in a split second at a very young age, and that's something that um, when I look back on it now at 32 is pretty heavy. Yeah. Um, I think through everything that I did, it taught me to, uh, it definitely taught me the value of a human life. Um, it taught me how to kind of not necessarily be so judgmental as a person because you never really know what everybody's dealing with. And I think that was a very hard lesson for me to learn because prior to, to, to seeing the countries and, and the different cultures and the things that I've been exposed to, I think I was definitely very um, close-minded. Um, Interesting. So it definitely taught me a ton of compassion for people and for different societies. Uh, I will tell you, you know, not just Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, you know, I was in Africa, I've been to Pakistan, I've been, you know, all over the world. And some of these cultures are just so incredible to be around and the people are so genuine and so nice. Um, and unfortunately, they were just kind of dealt a bad hand. Mm. And I, that's kind of a very rough analogy, but that's sort of the, the, uh, the gist of it. And, uh, you know, coming back and being around here and you see the things that are going on right now in the country and it's sort of like, you know, I wish people would take a second to realize that we don't really, actually we have it pretty darn good. Because mm. I've been to some places, I've been to some places and I've seen some things that you guys, you know, people talk about oppression and they talk about things and they throw those words around here and they haven't seen oppression. Mm. They haven't seen families get torn apart because of somebody's sexual preference. Mm. They haven't seen somebody get publicly mutilated because they choose to love a woman and they are a woman or they choose to love a man and they are a man. Mm. Um, I've seen those things and it's not, it's not something that I take very lightly and it's, uh, that's why, you know, when you see some of the radicalized things that go on now, it's like, you know, I, I just wish that I could sit down and talk to some of these people and be like, yo, like, you guys really have it tenfold better than a lot of the world. And, and you guys really need to open your eyes and see that. Right. Oh, wow. That, well, that must be, yeah, that's, that is, that is quite a, I mean, I know it sounds so, so trivial for me to say, but quite a perspective changer to go out and see these things and come back and see the contrast. And, uh, and thank you for sharing that because that, that helps the rest of us Sort of, sort of realize that, and then I guess that that ties into my next question is for the I think the average American is is supportive and well-meaning for the armed forces and the troops going out and fighting our wars, and uh -huh. and yet it's so easy for us to forget and so easy for us to use these big you know inflated words. And, and so easy to get wrapped about in our own little worlds. And from your perspective, what, what can the rest of us do, uh, not only to be, I guess this is a two-part question, to be better 
better support for, for returning troops and better citizens of the world. Do you have any opinions on that? Well, you know, the beautiful thing about the country that we live in is you have the option to disagree with something or with everything um, that goes on. And it is on the backs of the men and women that wore the uniform um, that have given you that platform to be able to do that without any consequence. Right. Um, so I think little things like, you know, hot-button topics over the last year, you know, the national anthem. Right. I have no problem if you want to protest and you have an issue with whether it be the federal government or, or, or whatever um, happened or is happening in this country. And I went to fight and, and to continue to make sure that you have that right. But if you could find two minutes and 15 seconds out of your day to do it that doesn't include when that song's playing, you know, I think a majority of us really would appreciate it. Um, Interesting, right? But then there's the other side of that coin that a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, we gave them the right to do that. Now we're telling them that they can't do it during this period of time. And, and, I, and I get that. Um, but, you know, I, I just remember that a lot of us, you know, I buried both of my best friends over there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both killed in Iraq a year apart. So for me, you know, when I hear the national anthem, when I see the flag, that, you know, I wore that into a war zone and I did that and that flag was on both of my friends' caskets when they were laid, laid in the ground. Mm-hmm. So I think everybody kind of has a little bit of a different perspective on it. Um, but, you know, just be respectful because, you know, if you meet a veteran, you talk to a veteran, we're not looking for handouts. We've worked for everything that we've had. Uh, you know, we want to be taken care of by our country because we took care of our country. Um, we don't like to see people, you know, abuse our uniforms um, or pose, which you're seeing a lot of now, a lot of people posing as veterans who aren't veterans because mm-hmm. people like the NAM guys came back and they paved the way for us to be able to, to, to be taken care of as well as we are. Um, now, by no means is the VA system perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better than, you know, 72, 73, when those guys were coming back from Nam mm-hmm. and they were being told that post-traumatic stress disorder was just a headache, wow. essentially. They didn't know what it was. Wow. Uh, and, and as far as, I guess, just in general, you know, I, I'm going to touch on something here that, that may be a, a bit too hot for a lot of people, but I, you know, you look at the tragedy that just happened in Parkland, right. um, and you know, it's not—it's a people thing. It's not a—it's not a—it's not a Second Amendment thing. It's a people thing. People, kids now are so ruthless, mm-hmm. and with the dawn of social media, you know, I didn't have. MySpace until I was 18. I didn't have a cell phone until I was 18. So if you did something off color in school, it was word of mouth. Right. And now everybody's got a cell phone. Everybody's got a camera. Everybody's got Snapchat and Facebook Live. So if you happen to have a blunder, the whole school knows about it in, in, in five minutes. Right. Uh, I did speak. I 
did see a video of a young woman on Facebook the other day who her school was, was staging a gun violence protest or a walkout. And she got her whole class's attention and she basically summed it up pretty well. You know, it's, it's a people problem. Kids and people are not nice to other people. Right. We've worked so hard over the years, <clears throat> excuse me, to give people the rights and the things that we denied them in error over 200 years ago. And now we're reverting ourselves back to that because we just can't be nice to each other. Wow. Because the girl on the other side of the classroom likes her hair jet black and wants to put gauges in her ears, so the guy who plays football who looks like a California surfer kid picks up. Uh, that's a very stereotypical statement, but right. I'm just using it to illustrate a point. Of course, yeah. When, it, when in actuality, you know, she's probably one of the nicest human beings you'll ever come across. Right. Uh, you know, I got picked on a lot when I was in school. I was six foot, 135 pounds before I went to the service. I was a beanpole. Hmm. Um, I didn't play sports, and in my school, you played sports, or you kind of were an outcast. But hmm. again, I think that the, the, the bullying and the things that are, you know, in, inciting these issues now is tenfold worse just because of the usage of social media. And I just think if we all took a little bit of time out of our day to just be better people, even if that's, you know, just holding the door or maybe, you know, if you're, if you're in high school and you're listening to this, you know, acknowledge that person that's, that you know is kind of treated like the outcast because you never know what just a simple, Hey man, you doing all right? You know, could, could do for that person. Um, and it could really change the outcome of what maybe they're thinking about doing if they're having those kind of thoughts. Um, you know, and sense. if you see something, say something. Right. Um, don't be afraid to, to, if it's the wrong call, it's the wrong call, but at least you said something. Right. I don't know about anybody else, but I'd have a really hard time sleeping at night if I saw something and didn't say something, and then it uh, turned out to be, yeah. you know, a less than ideal situation. Yeah. Well, this is this is an interesting interesting point, and I think one of the things that that we're seeing, especially you mentioned the social media generation, is a, a simplification of things, and it's you know really easy to to put the blame on things, and it's real hard to to take something like yeah being being a better person because that's that's an uphill climb right there, um, right to to fix the thing. So so that's uh well yeah well that's well thank you thank you for sharing that view and that's and that's what I'm after is is sort of seeing what your your worldview is on these things um, right. so so well that's um, so so you mentioned uh, you mentioned you know checking in with people and and seeing if they're okay and, and one little one little action making a difference with something like that and this brings us to something that you mentioned to me in conversation a while ago uh, a group that that you told me about is is called Twenty Two Needs a Face. Is that am I getting the name right there? Yeah. Uh, so Twenty Two yeah. Needs a Face actually combined with another organization, and they're now under the moniker Platoon Twenty Two. Oh, I'm sorry. And what's it again? They're under Platoon Twenty Two. Okay. So and what they are is essentially a nonprofit that helps. Um, veterans who are in need of, of, of mental services um, kind of get the help that they need 
whether it be through the VA, whether it be through uh, private providers that are uh, donating their time, um, that sort of thing. And it's, you know, there's 22 veterans a day that take their life to suicide, um, whether it be because they're struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, whether it be because they're uh, struggling with getting the benefits that they need from the VA, or they're homeless or they're jobless, um, whatever that is. And they're just a really good organization. Um, a lot of the board members are actually out of Frederick uh, up there in Western Maryland. Um, cool. So it's just a really good organization. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, if you're looking for something to donate to, if you're looking for something to volunteer your time to, um, Organizations like, you know, Platoon 22, 22 Kill, uh, stuff like that, those are really great organizations, and I can tell you that your money, if you decide to go that route, or your time, um, that goes directly to the veterans. They're, they're both organizations that don't have uh, a whole lot of overhead, um, and they, they, they try to take as much of whatever they have and give it directly back to the service members um, as quickly and as, as, as efficiently as possible. Oh, that's well. That's great to hear. And and actually, before we had that conversation, I didn't realize that that veteran suicide was such a big deal. And that's something that again, you mentioned. You know, just you know, checking in with people is. You always hear those stories of how that can make such a difference. And when I was when I was a kid, I remember starting to read about history and battles. And and you see you see the list of people that's killed, and then you see the people the list of people who's wounded, and then then you don't even think about the people afterwards. And that's something I had no idea about. And going back to the invisibility of the war. Um, so thank you for mentioning that. And I will certainly be posting some links in the show description about that. And, uh, and is that something that you've been involved with or yourself or, or you have you know, friends who work in the organization? Uh, when I, yeah, when I moved uh, back to Cleveland from Maryland, that was, Kind of, I mean, I stay in touch with a lot of the guys that run it um, and that have their hands in, in kind of the day-to-day operations of it. Um, actually, one of the guys on the board, Danny Farrar, is uh, running for, for council up there in Frederick. So if you're a Frederick listener, uh, I'll plug Danny for a second here. Take, take a look at Farrar for Frederick. Uh, Danny's a fantastic guy. He was a first responder um, at the Pentagon after 9-11, um, and he's also a uh, retired Army vet. Great guy. Uh, huge heart. Um, him and his wife have put a lot of time, a lot of effort into uh, into some things, especially with Platoon 22 and, and the Soldier Fit franchise that they run up there. So if you're uh, a Frederick, Maryland, Gaithersburg, that area, um, hop into the Soldier Fit if you're looking for a workout or, or take a look at Danny. Um, I think he's on tap to, to really change uh, the climate uh, shake things up a little bit and, and kind of give uh, maybe some, some older politicians a little bit of a fresh view of, of what this generation uh, brings to the table. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, you heard it here. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to... I didn't, we'll have I didn't to come here for my shameless plug. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's what it's about. It's a, the podcasting, that's a beautiful thing with it. So, so well, one of the, another question, if you don't mind me asking, with, with the... I'm very curious about parallels because I think we make, everybody's making a, well, not everybody, it's a big generalization. A lot of people are making a grave mistake now that they assume that everybody is like them and they get mad when people think differently. So one of the things that 
that I see is the when we lump. I guess we're, we're, we're technically both millennials. We're right at the tail end of it, or the beginning of it, rather. Um, I have a really hard time living under that moniker, Josh. So, I'm not going to lie to you. Right, right. Well, I know. It's, it's, well, because it has such a bad rap now. Um, so your transition experience from soldier to civilian uh, is definitely, I know, I don't know why, because, um, well, you've told me a little bit in conversation before, but... I know it's a lot different than my life experience. And I think that's important to look at each other's life experiences so we can really understand where everybody's coming from. So what, what is the transition process like? Uh, I hear it's, a, it's a kind of a bizarre thing going from, from in the field all the time to coming back to just normal society. Um, yeah, it's, you know, when you come back from a, from a deployment, you know, you go from being, um, uh, super high energy, super high drive, high vigilance um, all the time to, you know, essentially, for lack of a better term, you know, coming back to Mayberry and right. everything is so much slower. So uh, it, it, it takes a little bit of time for that hypervigilance to, to wear off a little bit. Um, you know, when we're over there and, and, and running around and doing things, you know, that fight or flight thing that everybody has um, kind of deep down in them, you know, that flight is, is not an option. So you, you kind of suppress that and it's just fight. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, for me at least, um, when I came back, I had a really hard time doing, you know, just some basic stuff when I first got back. I had a hard time taking my dog for a walk. You know, because I'm looking at rooftops and, you know, staring at windows and I see kids running around and, I'm, you know, my head's all over on a swivel, um, which over there, it, it's kind of a different story because the culture is so different and the people, um, certain people, let me make sure I phrase that correctly certain people, the bad guys, the bad people, the people that are out there that are trying to, to hurt us and, and don't have the care for, for the civilian collateral damage that they could be causing. Um, they, uh, you know, they, they're, they're all over the place. They're, you know, they could be standing in the middle of the field. They could be, you know, running from house to house. It just sort of depends. Um, so I think the hardest part for me was definitely, uh, winding down on that hypervigilance. Um, I was very, uh, I had a hard time sleeping when I came back. Um, so that sort of, you know, continued to manifest itself over a couple of years until I finally got to the point where, um, you know, between Barry and, um, uh, Mike and then Barry and Eric, it was sort of, uh, kind of all came to a head after my third one because I was so quick on all three of my deployments that it really didn't, I didn't really have a whole lot of time for it to register. You know, I would, I, I, I knew that I needed to, to, to get some help. Um, just because, you know, basic stuff was starting to get really difficult to do, you know, sleeping, you know, I wasn't sleeping. I think I was probably averaging, you know, two to three hours a night, but I was, you know, constantly being woken up by nightmares and stuff like that. Um, and then mine came to a head about, uh, mid 2013 ish. Um, I was dealing with a pretty bad bout of depression. Um, my marriage had just fallen apart. So 
so that whole thing was going on, and uh, I tried to take my own life, and I failed pretty miserably. Um, and some friends of mine uh, got me into the VA, and, and I got uh, you know my psych evaluation and everything done. And um, ever since then, you know, I've been seeing a mental health professional and, and doing the things that I need to do to take care of myself and and, and live a productive. Um, live a productive life and, and, and be content with, with where I'm at. And, uh, you know, this is eight years now removed from my, from my last deployment and five years removed from my suicide attempt. So it's sort of one of those things where it's like, you know, I look back over the last five years and I see how far I've come and what I've done. Um, wow. and you know, I'm just, I'm glad to just be here. I'm glad to just, you know, be able to have this conversation with you on the phone. And, you know, maybe if, somebody listening to this is going through the same thing, you know, this will be the spark that'll get them to, to, to go see a professional. Um, I used to be really afraid of the stigmas that came with it, but I think now I'm more afraid of becoming a statistic. And if somebody wants to, to brand me crazy because I struggle with post-traumatic stress disorder or whatever, um, you know, I'll, I'll carry that moniker. Uh, but I couldn't, I think I'd have a harder time knowing, you know, if I took my own life, what it would do to, you know, to my mom, my dad, my brother, um, the people around me that, that actually care about me. Um, I think that'd be harder for me to deal with maybe in some sort of afterlife than, than, than walking around and knowing that I have to go see a, you know, a psychologist three times a week. Well, you know, Pat, I got to, I got to congratulate you for, for being so brave and sharing that. Because it takes guys like you, and if you guys are listening, Pat is your archetype. Arch, okay, words are failing me. He's the archetype of your your classic American soldier, tough guy walking around. And Pat, I think it takes guys like you to say, you know, I needed, I needed some, I needed a boost to make a difference. So because like if, if I said that, you put two of us side by side, like like I'm I'm definitely you know the the. the bizarre artist guy walking around and be like, well, yeah, of course, Josh would. Um, so I, I, well, th I think that's really, really not only brave, but really helpful for you to say something like that. And, and thank you. Um, thank you for doing that because I think that makes it easier for a lot of other people because people say, hey, you know, that's that's cool. Pat's, you know, if a cool guy is doing it, then I can do it too. So thank you for that. I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, it, it, the, the cool guy is doing it, but, but I understand where you were where you're leading with that. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, mental health issues are not something that just affect, um, you know, guys that were in war, you know, every, everybody's got their own, their own issues. And unfortunately, I think that the stigma in society that if you come forward and you have a mental health issue, that, that somebody is going to, um, you're, you're going to lose some sort of right, or you're going to, you know, everybody's going to think you're crazy. Um, and that's why a lot of guys, especially in the service, you know, they didn't, we had this problem with guys getting out for a long period of time and girls uh, with mental health issues because there was a stigma put on it within the unit. And if you went and saw a mental health professional when you were still active duty, it was, you know, you were put on weeds and seeds and you were taken away from your unit and you were taken away from your brothers and your sisters and your friends and you were kind of outcasted. So I think a lot of guys just, uh, just kept it kind of under wraps. And unfortunately, I think, what you're seeing now is the outcome of that, the mm -hmm. outcome of where the Department of Defense, um, I don't think 
failed, but they definitely um, did not set themselves up for success, and they didn't help uh, the guys that were transitioning that were having a hard time, and they didn't make it easy for us to to get help and for us not to feel uh, penalized for saying, you know, hey, listen, uh, you know, I, I saw some, some, some pretty bad stuff when I was over there, and, and I need to talk to somebody about it. So. Right. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, I can't – I. Yeah, that that seems especially cruel, um, you know, to to put people through that and then deny them the, the right to be able to talk about it. Yeah, I just, yeah. So, well, so, let me yeah. let, let me piggyback on that. We were never denied the right. Oh, um, right, right. Just, make it, makes it, it just makes it difficult. Yeah, they they the the way the unit handled you after you went and and talk to a mental health professional definitely could have used some uh, some rethinking. We'll, 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 put it, we'll put, it, put it that way. Right, right, exactly, exactly. That makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah, well, 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 Pat, well, hey, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. And, um, you know, and I'm glad you're doing better. And, and thank you for sharing that because I think that will let other people do better too. Uh, so, you know, really paving the way and, and yeah, and then making it easier for for people to to do what's right, so thank you, um, thank you for. And it sounds like it sounds like you're doing really well. We were talking right before the uh, before the episode started, and, and you said you you've got this cool new job out in Cleveland. It sounds like the the classic Cleveland job, with working at a steel mill. And uh, tell us a bit about that if you don't mind. Yeah, uh, typical Rust Belt. <laughs> Um, you know, I was born and raised here. This place has always felt like home, even though it's a really cold home for like eight months out of the year. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I came back and I kind of was working in my niche for a little while, which was obviously law enforcement, security, that sort of thing. Um, and I just decided that I really wanted to do something different. Um, and it, coincidentally enough, you know, I kind of followed in my past footsteps, um, my grandfather was a World War II that Pearl Harbor survivor, uh, did most of his tour, tours in the Pacific, came home, went to work for the steel mill here in Lorain, Ohio, and then, uh, you know, I did my thing and then came home and went to work for a Cleveland mill. Um, and I'm really lucky to, to work for a great company. Um, they take really great care of us. Uh, we're, like I said, we're one of the only privately owned steel mills um, in the country. Um, we're getting ready to put a $161 million addition on it and bring about 250 new jobs to the city. Uh, Bravo. So it's, it, it's a pretty good time to be in the steel industry, thankfully. Um, for about the last 20 years, it's been, it's been pretty rough, and especially right. in 2008 when they had the economic downturn. Um, that took a, took a hit on a lot of guys, but uh, you know, Charter came through, and uh, they, they take care of us, and they're very savvy with uh, with their veterans, which is really great. Um, and they hire guys with felony record, which is even better because those are some of the best workers, you know, in the world. Some guys may have made a mistake when they were, you know, when they were young, but I'll tell you what, one of the best, some of the best guys I've ever worked with are guys with past like that because they know that this is probably their only chance to, to, to have a really good, stable career, and, and they really uh, relish in that and, and work their butt off. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Well, well, how so? So for the, the the uninformed and and the coastal people who just steal is you know is something that that the beer is named after. How exactly is steel made? So you're seeing. So what happens at your plant? 
Can you take us through? I mean, I know this is completely off topic, but I, I'm so curious about, about the process. So, so what, does, what exactly does your plant do? What is it? What does a piece well, of metal look like in there? How does it work? I can only speak to the rolling side of it because that's that's where I work. Um, that's so great. we have two sides. You have melt, you have melt shop, and you have the rolling mill. So the melt shop essentially they make uh, the steel in itself, from molten to hard, thirty-four foot long, seven by seven square billets. Wow! Once that's done over there. Uh, they come over to my side of the, the mill, um, and we take them, put them in a reheat furnace, uh, heat them up to 2,000 degrees, and then spit them out into a mill. And essentially, we take a seven by seven, 34 foot long square, and turn it into. If you can think about it, you're thinking of uh, a slinky. Is essentially what we what we turn them into. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it's a it's a pretty cool process um we use what's called an oval round pass design throughout the mill so one stand uh will make the the bar look like an oval and then the next stand will make it round and obviously you finish out of a round um so yeah you're looking at essentially about a you know a five foot tall slinky when it's all said and done that must be so loud too (laughs) yeah it's uh it's definitely not a quiet process, that's for sure. <laughs> well, well, that gets into into my last question. We're, we're both musicians and music fans, and, and we were talking a little bit earlier. It sounds like you got you got a good show lined up this summer. Um, uh, what are you going to see? Yeah. Uh, actually, I'll be headed on the road um, to see Dead & Company at Alpine Valley in Wisconsin, which is pretty exciting for me uh with the grateful dead being you know my favorite band and all um i saw them on their fall tour in columbus really cool show john mayer is doing some really cool things with them um and i think john mayer is a great guitarist to begin with um i was a little skeptical when it first all kind of went down about how he was gonna fit and how he was gonna mesh with the guys but he has sort of taken taken his own um way in this journey and he hasn't tried to be jerry and he hasn't tried to be trey um so that's good just to watch him be up there and kind of own his own little piece of this history is uh is really cool to watch so i'm definitely excited about that and the the history with alpine valley to the grateful dead is is huge so to be able to 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 get and see them in in a classic venue is something I'm really looking forward to. Oh man, and and we were talking too about the you know the Stevie Ray Vaughan history there too. Um, yeah, so that, that was obviously where Stevie played his last show was at that was at that amphitheater, and then he got on his fateful helicopter ride. So right, uh, I'll be making a pilgrimage over there to take a look at that memorial. Um, nice. You know, Stevie's. We've talked music a ton. You know, Stevie's always been one of my one of my biggest influences, and one of the guys that I've always just kind of been in awe with every time I hear him so um, unbelievable stuff yeah he's it's it's incredible man just the the things that he did and the way that he made that guitar sound and I I I don't think we're ever in our generation at least I don't think we'll ever find a talent quite like Stevie it's it, it is definitely a force of nature Wow. Well, Pat, well, man, thank you so much for, for your insight and thoughts and, and all this stuff. You know, you can't thank you enough. 
In, in closing, is there anything else? Uh, it can be about life, it can be about music, it can be about perspective, anything else that you'd like people to know um, about about being being the best people that we can be? Um, and also you know, you see, it, you see it all over Facebook all day and all over social media. You know, everybody puts up these posts about, you know, be kind, everybody's fighting some battle that you don't necessarily know about. Um, and I'm not one to kind of jump on that bandwagon, but, you know, there's some definite truth in advertising there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would, um, I guess if I could say something to the general masses, just, you know, take some time out of your day to, 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 to step back. Um, don't don't jump off the handle, uh, fly off the handle, rather. Don't don't jump the gun when, when you meet somebody and you get yourself into a situation. Uh, you know, take the extra 10 seconds to think react and try not to react out of emotion and I know that's it's difficult for, for people to understand um, sometimes and difficult for people to do, myself included but uh, I think if we all just sort of took a little bit of extra time and and sat back and kind of looked at a situation before we reacted um, and maybe educated ourselves a little bit better as a mass uh, I think I think it helped uh, kind of put people and, and maybe society in sort of a you know, a better generalized direction. Well said, sir. Pat, thank you so much. Yeah, Jess, no problem. Thanks for having me on. You've been listening to The Signal Man Show. I'm your host, Josh Urban, and we're broadcasting every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoundCloud, iTunes, and everywhere fine podcasts are found. I hope you've enjoyed this as much as I have, and hey, during season two, try to get more people involved with this. So drop me a line at joshjoshurban.com or tweet at me at don'tjoshme. You can have a, a story, a question, a hello, a shout out to Aunt Margaret, or a good deed that you saw or that you did. It doesn't matter. It's so nice that you're here. So keep it fresh, keep it funky, keep it real, and I will catch you on the flip side. See you next time.